Um, good morning, everyone, and welcome to our worship at Hillhead. Um, and a happy new year for me, because I wasn't here last week to, to see everybody. Our worship this morning is led by Laura. Um, I don't have any particular family news uh, um, for today, but if there is anything that anyone would like the um, the congregation to know about, please email it to me at secretary at Hillhead Baptist um, so that um, we can share um, that news with the congregation. A wee reminder that Brian is looking for volunteers for two weeks today to read some poetry during the service he's leading on Burns on Faith. So if you're up for reading some poetry during that service, please speak to Brian. Um, as usual, the coffee club meets at 10.30 on Wednesday at Esquire House and our midweek conversations group on Zoom um, happens on Tuesday at 7. Um, for the few weeks leading up to Lent, we'll be considering very various aspects of time. So how do we spend our time? Um, how do we understand our life in terms of uh, the time periods that we've lived through? Um, and I'll send an email out this evening with some more details about that. The deadline for contributions to the February key is the 24th of January. Please send any contributions to Laura. And next week, we will meet together as usual in the hotel and on Zoom when we are delighted to be joined by the Reverend David Coleman from Eco Congregation Scotland, who will be leading our worship. These are all our notices. Good morning, Hillhead Baptist Church. Welcome to everyone in the room and welcome to those of you on Zoom as well. If you're visiting here today, then we welcome you especially. And if for whatever reason it's been difficult to get here this morning, perhaps you're tired, perhaps you're stressed, perhaps you are wondering whether it was worth leaving your warm duvet, thank you. Thank you for choosing to be with us all today. Either in person or in Zoom, your presence is appreciated and valued. As we gather here today, in the room or over Zoom, we take joy in each other's company. May we know that each of us is precious in the eyes of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may we cherish one another with the gifts of fellowship and friendship that we can both give and receive in our coming together this day. Following the gathering prayer, we will pray the Lord's Prayer. And I invite you to do so in whatever language or form you feel most comfortable with. The gathering prayer this morning is from the Iona community. God, our creator, you have wonderfully made us. You have planted in us different gifts. No two of us are the same. On our own, we may or may not shine, but together in your company, you turn us into a kaleidoscope of grace. Sometimes we lament the busyness of our lives. Sometimes we bemoan the emptiness. There are signs of our longing for a fulfillment we cannot create, but for which we can receive from the one who made, knows and loves us. Lover of all and each. Enable us here to be fully open to you, to all you have to offer, to all that you ask of us. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from that this morning I'd wake you all up with a little quiz. So we're going to be talking about kilt making this morning as, and as a way of getting us into the swing of things I want to do a wee quiz on how well you can identify certain tartans. I'll display them from the front. So there are bits of paper and there should be pencils around so if you can get into groups of about four-ish <laughs> there, there is a prize. On Zoom, I realise you're not in groups of four, so you might have to just struggle along yourself, see how many you get. <laughs> There's a total of six points, so it won't be too long, I promise. Okay, are we all in teams? I can see some like anticipation on the faces, you know, you seem to be quite into this already. <laughs> Let's see how you get on. Zoom, you should be able to see, hopefully, from the, the camera. Um, just give someone a wave if you want, want me to hold them up a bit longer. So number one, it's easy. I'm expecting you all to get this. If you don't, then 
well, there's something wrong. So, number one. Can you see that from the front? No clue. Come on, Margaret. I hope that's not you listening into other people, Holly McGuigan. <laughs> Number two. Okay, time's up. So we'll give you the answers and see how many you got. Number one, Royal Stewart. Yeah, good. Someone got that at the back. Number two, Lindsay. Lindsay. <laughs> oh, that they had a different tartan I noticed at the wedding. Number three. This is a Campbell, but it's Campbell muted. Is that four? Is that four? Oh no, that was three, wasn't it? Sorry, three. This one is Stuart, Stuart Hunting Modern. So it's two Stuarts. So you may be right if you put the same answer. So we've got number one, Royal Stuart, number two, Lindsay, number three, Stuart Hunting Modern, and number four, that's the Campbell clan muted. <laughs> number five, that was the Campbell of Argyle modern. And number six is Ramsey. <laughs> So did anyone get six? Anyone on Zoom get six? No, Valerie's shaking her head. Five? You're very hopeful, Laura. I would expect my lot to get some. They've been surrounded by this for years. Um, anyone on Zoom, five? No. Four? Wow. Oh, yay! Wow. <laughs> For those on Zoom, that's a team of Neil, um, Katrina, Neil. mostly Neil. <laughs> mostly Neil. So it was Emma, Neil, and Katrina, but mostly Neil, apparently. Anyone on Zoom got four? No, you guys are the winners then. Well done. Well done. Here's your prize. <laughs> Well done on being such good sports and four's not bad actually. Four is not bad. Most people would have got two or three, I think, out of those because some were a little obscure. Um, so yes, yeah, thanks for being such good sports and taking parts. Um, you'll have noticed from that quiz that whilst all the pieces were recognisable as tartan, there was lots of variation between the pieces. Even within some of the same clans, the colours were different and some have different stripes and some are used for different purposes like there's the Royal Stuart and the Hunting Stuart. Um, but despite those differences, 
they all identified themselves with the same clan name. And I, I like to think that church is a little bit like that, and especially Baptist churches. All churches that claim to be followers of Jesus should be recognisable as churches. At Hillhead Baptist, as a Baptist church, we, we identify as being part of the Baptist clan, as it were. The Declaration of Principle on which our Baptist Union was founded allows for congregational discernment, which means that there'll be variations in the nuance of how we interpret scripture and the ways that we express ourselves as a faithful community. Those foundational beliefs that identify us as followers of Christ remain. And while we remain identifiable as churches, there's variations in the conclusions that we draw and the ways that we interpret scriptures and the ways that we are guided by the Spirit. So with this, it should not be a surprise to find that within our Baptist clan, there will be variations about what each church looks like, expresses itself and lives out its faith. It is our fabric as Christ followers and our clan as Baptist, we might embrace the freedom to discern our own variations, our own expression within those parameters. In ways that we can, in what ways can we embrace this image of diversity alongside shared identity in our own discernment process at Hillhead Baptist Church? We're going to explore some of that a little bit further later on, but I'm going to ask um, Katrina to come up and do the Bible reading just now. Thank you. Well, our readings this morning are all from Jeremiah in different, different sections. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, Plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as this potter has done, says the Lord? Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way lies and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said... We will not walk in it.
Graham talked to us last week about weaving, about Cathcart Baptist Church's own registered tartan. And as I listened, I was transported back to a life before COVID, before I was a chaplain and back when I worked as a kilt maker. For 10 years, I'd had a business making kilts. And so all that talk about weaving and threads and tartans took me straight back into that world. It reminded me of a series that I wrote loosely along the theme of what kilt making taught me about God. And so in keeping with that Scottish theme, rather than following the lectionary today, I wanted to offer you the first of that series. By way of background, to this series. The first of these reflections I wrote soon after COVID in response to a tandem, what I I describe as a clearing of the decks of life, as my kilt making became unviable during COVID. And alongside that, a sense of a call to ministry away from the kilt making business. So today I want to consider how we approach such circumstances When things happen that we've little control over, sometimes no control over, how do we approach changes in plans, circumstances and the uncertainty that comes with that? Do we listen to God in the midst of it or do we forge ahead with our own plans and agendas? Before COVID, my plan had been to keep on going with kilt making. It worked well around the demands of looking after small ch- small children, and I, I saw no reason to change that. But then COVID hit. The world changed. Everything changed. And suddenly, with no one going out anymore, nobody needed kilts. And so the plans that I had in my business and, and the future of that was just swept away. So I guess that that story might go some way to explaining my unusual attire today. And also to introduce the reflection in which I want to talk about the prophet Jeremiah. I want to use the prophet Jeremiah to guide us through thinking about God's sovereignty and discerning the plans that God has for our lives. This reflection uses scripture to reflect on the kilt making process. And this particular one focuses on the cloth itself. How we go from being one long straight piece of cloth to a garment fit to wear and to be passed down through the generations. For this next bit, I need a couple of helpers, please. Anyone willing? Katrina, always keen. Anyone else? I need two, please, because we need someone to hold this, unroll this out. Thanks, Moji. So if one of you can hold one end and stay at the front and another just roll, keep going with that that bale of tartan and see how far it stretches. I just want to, to try and show you how much fabric goes into a kilt. Keep going, yeah. This is one kilt. You can make a kilt slightly with slightly less tartan, I have to say, but you get less pleats usually, and it's not usually got as good a swing. So the more the more fabric, the more swing. There we are. So that's ten meters of tartan. 
This particular length, this is a length of Johnson Ancient, if you're wondering, and it's earmarked for a pal that I've promised to make a kilt for, but not actually got around to it yet. Um, so you'll see this is 10 meters of fabric, and all this has to be pleated, folded, and coaxed into place until it resembles something like the kilt that I'm wearing today. Thank you, ladies. If you want to just like ball it up and chuck it at the back of the room, I'll sort all that out later. But don't worry about don't worry about keeping it neat. Such is the process of kilt making. It involves taking one long piece of fabric and making it into something beautiful and purposeful. In the in the process of sewing the kilt together, the cloth doesn't always go where you want to try and place it. And oftentimes the placing has, of the cloth has to be done on feel rather than precision and force. This process, I think, has significant parallels with the ways that God shapes our lives so that they might be lived meaningfully and purposefully for that which God has designed for us. There's a wide scope within the ways in which we can live our lives. God does not have precise and fixed plans for us, but rather has plans for our flourishing. And when we live in ways which are in line with those plans, in line with the things that bring us life and joy and hope, then we live as flourishing people. God can use events and circumstances and people in our lives to mould, shape and direct us. Our role in the process is one of listening to discern the voice, the way of God in the circumstances before us. And once we hear that whisper, then it's to trust and obey the path to flourishing, to live as God has directed us to. That's not to say that discernment is easy. I often joke that God has to hit me in the face before I realise what he's actually wanting me to do. But I'm, I'm working on discerning the whispers instead. The prophet Jeremiah spent his ministry imploring his hearers to turn away from living their lives under their own terms. And he pleaded with them to submit to the plans and purposes that God had for them instead. Jeremiah was very much speaking in dissent of the culture that he found himself in. His prophecy was challenging to those that heard him. Sometimes the whispers of, that we hear of God, God's plans might not be towards an easy path. They might be calling us out to challenge the culture that we're embedded in. They might be calling us to walk further into the borderlands, as Graham alluded to last week. Katrina read to us early, earlier from Jeremiah 29, 11. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not to harm, to give you a future with hope. For context, the words of verse 11 are spoken into a situation of hardship and suffering. Jeremiah had just told the people who were in exile that they should not expect to leave their exile to Babylon for the next 70 years. But in verse 11, he speaks of the Lord's future promise. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God reassures them 
that no matter their current circumstances and how they might appear, God has a plan for them, a plan that is good and which will allow them to prosper, to flourish. He goes on to say in verses 12 and 13 that then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So when we seek God, when we turn to him in prayer and listen to his voice, when we listen to the nudges of the Spirit, we too can discern the plans that God has for us. It is these three things which are central to accepting God's plans for our life. Trusting that he has a plan for us, which is good. Listening to God when we make choices or face uncertainty. And then acting on what we've heard. Making the choices and following the paths that God is nudging us down. Which is obedience to his voice. When God created us, he took a blank canvas, just like this length of tartan. And within that blank canvas placed all the potential and all the possibilities that were required to make something beautiful and meaningful of our own lives. All the days and the years that stretched out ahead of us are known and planned by God. They have a purpose and a potential to be moulded by him for the purposes which he intends to build his kingdom. At first glance, looking at this blank canvas and the years of life stretching ahead of us, we would never imagine the finished product. Indeed, it's sometimes hard to imagine where God might be leading us when we're in the middle of something. Often we can't see the end product until the end of the process. The middle of the kilt making process looks like a mess of thread and fabric with just a vague notion of where it all might be heading. We might consider those times, our own personal exile or wilderness, full of uncertainty. But the one who is shaping us knows exactly where this process is heading. God has planned the final result. For in the middle of the process, we must trust that it is by God's hands that we are being moulded into something which is purposeful and useful for his kingdom building. It's important to acknowledge here that bad and awful things happen to us. Things in which we can see no good, no way in which this event can work towards our flourishing. And I offer these reflections not as a theodicy, that being an explanation as to why evil and suffering exist in the world. Such answers will never be enough to explain the pain that we feel when we're in the midst of that suffering. But rather, I offer these reflections as an encouragement to continue to listen in the hard times. Yes, cry out to God and scream, why? How long, O Lord? But also, I encourage you to keep directing those feelings towards God, to keep listening, to keep noticing the small ways that God might be present in those times, 
guiding you in the ways forwards and beckoning you on to just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Jeremiah saw God very much as a creator and frequently uses images of agriculture and the creative process to illustrate the message of his words. Jeremiah 18, 2-6 compares the hands of the potter shaping clay into a vessel to the ways that God shapes our lives. Come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hands, and he reworked it into another vessel as seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as this potter has done, says the Lord? Just like the clay in the potter's hands, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Like the potter moulding the clay, shaping it for his purposes, the kilt making involves careful and precise planning. Before cutting the cloth, the, and pleating, the construction of the final product is planned while the canvas remains blank and flat with the potential to be made into anything at all. Each pleat must be measured within a millimetre, ensuring that the garment fits the wearer and fulfils its purpose as a kit, kilt fit for a particular individual. When it comes to placing the pleats, it, they must be done correctly because even a millimeter error across several pleats leads to a kilt which is too big or too small and then that placement or pleat needs to be unpicked or at least that's how it's supposed to work part of the creative process though involves knowing when that particular pleat is just not going to lie straight sensing when allowances need to be made when an issue shouldn't be forced. And I think that this is the precision and care which God takes over our lives. There is grace for us, for the times when we get it wrong, when we go our own way. God does not force his plans on us, rather invites us to participate in them. And we, as the clay or the cloth, accept that invitation and allow ourselves to be shaped. The key requirement in all these illustrations, the clay, the kill and our own lives is obedience. Once we've listened to the whispers and we've discerned what God is calling us to do, what path is a path to human flourishing? We are required to submit to the will of the creator to be moulded by the creator and to trust the one that made us. Neither the clay nor the cloth can instruct the creator as to what it should be, nor how, the final, how to reach the final result. So too are we, we are clay in the Lord's hand. A straight piece of fabric like this does not want to be made curved. It pulls away and it tries to go its own way and when we're sewing it, if we do let it do this too much, it won't fit the wearer. It won't fulfill the purpose for which it is created. And like that fabric, we pull away too. 
We pull away from our creator God. We don't want to be moulded, mended, pulled. We want to go our own worldly ways. And we strive for the things that we think will make us successful or bring us happiness or make us worthy in the eyes of other people. But ultimately, all this relentless go-getting will not fulfil us. If we live outside the calling that God has placed on our lives, we won't be fulfilled. And so when we let go of all that striving and we let God lead us, we allow that process of flourishing to begin. God caresses us into place when we allow it, sometimes gently, sometimes a little more forcefully, but always with grace and with the end goal of our spiritual flourishing firmly in sight. It is our job to be moulded, to do, to allow the work of the creator, to allow the creator to do the work of creation in us. Turning back to the process of kilt making, when you're pleating a kilt, at the start of each pleat is what's called an anchoring stitch. One with, that stitch is used to keep the entire pleat in place, to give it strength at its base, which is the point when it's most going to be stretched most. This is a stitch that keeps the pleat secure through the various stresses that the kilt will be placed under when it's worn. When we, we, when we commit to trusting God with our lives, we too need to pay careful attention to what our anchoring stitch is. What is it that keeps us secure through the stresses that we're placed under? What gives us endurance, patience and strength when we are pulled out of our comfort zones? Is it the trust we have for our creator God? The promise that he has a plan for our lives, a plan to prosper, a hope, a future? Do we truly believe in the goodness of God? And if we do, then maybe we might be able to sit securely under pressure whilst still ensuring that we remain malleable, able to be moulded and live purposeful lives that are in tune for what we were created. To borrow a couple of verses from Hebrews, we see that in Hebrews 6, 18 to 20, so God has given us both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. What should be our response to trusting God with our plan, the plans he has for our lives then? It seems we have a decision to make. And that decision is not a one-time decision, but a daily decision. Are we to submit to the will of the creator, or do we continue to pull away and pursue our own goals, desires, and agenda? When we do submit to the will of the creator God, when we come into a personal relationship, we enter into a relationship of trust. We trust the plans of the Lord. And we demonstrate that trust through obedience, even if we don't understand the path which we have been asked to walk. But we must also learn to listen to the nudges of the spirit and to God's voice. Being careful to discern situations when we are being called to act or to be still. 
And again, I should point out here that this shouldn't be misunderstood as a reason to remain in situations which are unsafe or unhealthy for us. God's promises are for a hope and a future in which we can flourish in line with his purposes. And, pur and anything that is unsafe or unhealthy as a situation does not promote that flourishing. The main point here is that in turning to God, we are faced with a choice. Do we listen to the world when it tells us that our happiness and our success is dependent on our job, on our appearance, our exam results, our car, our house, all, all the markers of success? Or do we instead pause and listen to God's voice, asking ourselves whether today we can be obedient to that leading for the direction of our lives, remaining open to possibilities, still enough to hear God's voice and brave enough to let go of our need for control. I wonder what God is saying to us through our discernment process as a church. What kind of people and to what values is God calling us and are we prepared to listen and follow the path that that call takes us on? So as we've seen from Jeremiah's illustration of the potter in the clay, it's only by submitting to the will of the creator that we are made into something beautiful and purposeful and in line with that which we were created to become. The final reading that Katrina gave us was Jeremiah 6, 16. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said we, we will not walk in it. Jeremiah's audience remained unhearing and chose not to walk the ancient's path, which were the ways of their creator. When we daily choose to trust in the plans that God has for our lives, we choose to walk the ancient paths that Jeremiah talks about. We surrender our own plans into the hands of God and the purposes that he has for our lives so that we might become the beautiful works of art that he created us to be. I want to end with a song that speaks to me personally and may have resonance for you and for our church as we go through a discern this discernment process. You'll have heard it before. It's The Sound of Silence by Simon and Garfunkel. The words are printed on the order of service, so if you want to sing along, feel free to, or perhaps you'd just like to sit and listen to the words. Either is okay. The song reminds me of the prophet Jeremiah as he spoke to a people who did not hear him. As he spoke to the, of God's ways and the people chose not to listen, instead choosing a different path from the one that God was calling them to. I wonder if, as we sing or listen, we can consider the vision for our church. What are the paths that God is calling us to walk as individuals and as a church? How can we stay attuned to the sounds within the silence? And do we have the courage and obedience to follow those sounds when we hear them? Hello darkness, my old friend 
I've come to talk with you again Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I We come now with our prayers for others, for each other, and for the world of which we are a part. Let's all pray. Living and loving God, we thank you for our world, full of so many wonderful sounds. The sound of children laughing, babies crying and people talking the sound of birds singing or music playing, the sound of wind blowing in the trees and waves crashing on the seashore, the sound of everyday life in a busy street like Byers Road and the sound of silence. Through the multitude of voices claiming our attention, May we hear your still, small voice speaking within us. We thank you for the ways you speak to us, through scripture, through prayer and worship, through other people and the daily experiences of life. Loving God, may our hearts be open to all that you would say to us. At the end of another week, which has brought news of further conflict in the Middle East, we bring to you our prayers and concern, or, and, and concern for all involved, for those who have lost loved ones, those who are injured or mentally distressed, those left homeless or as refugees, those who still live in daily fear for their lives. We pray for world leaders and rulers, those whose decisions and negotiations affect the lives of so many and in whose hands peace lies. Give wisdom to all who work for peace. Give courage to those who strive for justice. Give strength to those who seek to break down barriers so that a way of reconciliation may be found and a more secure future may be ensured for all. As we think of our needy world, BMS World Mission this week focuses on their aim to provide practical help in some of the world's most deprived places, thereby tackling injustice and suffering and bringing hope to communities in Nepal, Bangladesh, Chad, Uganda and Lebanon. Nearer to home, we think of our fellow Scottish Baptist churches this week, thinking of Arne Baptist Church, Ayr Baptist Church, and the Reverend Mary Lee Anderson, who's chaplain of Aberdeen University. And we remember, too, our connection with the Baptist Union of Great Britain. 
We thank you for their faithful witness in their different settings and pray that you would give them inspiration, courage and sincerity so that their witness may lead others to know Jesus for themselves. Loving and living God, we rejoice that you are involved in our world and involved in our lives, not distant or remote, but seeking the good of everything that you have made. Gratefully, we put our trust in you. Hear our prayer through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. to God. Help us when it, was hard, it is hard to let go of our need to be in control. Remind us of your promises and all the ways that you have been faithful in the past, not just in our own lives but in the lives of those that have come before us. Help us to be malleable to the nudges of your spirit, to the whisper of your voice, and surround us with encouragers, refiners, and those that can steady us in our journeys of uncertainty. In times of hardship, remind us that you have a plan for us, a plan to prosper, a plan of hope, and of a future. Let us hold on to that promise and that hope, 
in the midst of our circumstances. In good times, be gentle with us when we might be tempted to pursue our own path and we might be tempted to forge ahead with our own striving. Help us let go of the constant demands of the world to strive, to achieve, to be productive. Help us escape the treadmill of overwork and burnout. Help us to be wise in our choices and still enough to listen to your voice. Lord, anchor us when we want to pull away. We pray that you would mould us according to your will and purposes. Help us choose the ancient paths of your ways and make a daily choice to walk in them. Amen.